Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. Amen. Before you're seated, let's prepare to take communion together. And Caitlin, if you would bring up our scripture reading in Deuteronomy. I love this passage of scripture. I believe it speaks of how the Lord works, how he moves, how he sets us at a crossroad. And what you're going to see, he says, choose this and you will live or choose this and you will die. And aren't you thankful that the Lord doesn't make choosing him hard? We make it hard. And today is the blood of Jesus is available, is it's flowing. It will never lose its power. It never has for 2,000 years. And he can touch you. And as we take communion today, it is a sign, it is a symbol, it is a remembrance of the life of Jesus. Look at the scripture. It says, see that I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply. Anybody not just want to live, you want to live and multiply. It's powerful. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and you are drawn away, and you worship other gods and serve them. And for today's topic, that other God many a times is money. We chase after that which is created and not the creation or that which our creator. We chase creation, not creator, our heavenly father. So you can see that which draws us away, we see is an idol that turns our our ears, that turns our hearts. And it's not just a turning of the heart, but it's a worshiping of that thing. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Someone say, choose life. That's what we're doing today that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Would you bow your head for just a moment and prepare your heart? Would you just tell Jesus, I choose you today? Choose to worship you alone. No created thing, no idol, no no relationship is worth clinging to that and losing my cling to you. Jesus, I cling to you today. I cling to your blood that will never lose its power. We remember the Lord in everything, in all parts of our lives, because he's the one who fills all things. Jesus, we thank you that you bring us to this sacred moment of Holy Communion to remind us how much you love us, 
that you loved us so much you gave your life. That at the cross, the love of the Father was revealed in the Son of how much you loved us. You took our wrath, you took our shame, and you bore it on the cross. You took our place, Jesus. You love us so. And when we read scripture like that, it's not to be a killjoy. It's not to say you can't do anything. You can't do this. You can't do that. You have to comply to the obligations or you won't be blessed. If we think that way, we miss the heart of it. A good parent puts boundaries in front of their children because he does not want them to be hurt because he loves them and not everything in life is good for you. Just we choose you today. We choose your ways, your commandments, your statutes, your decrees, because it is a blessing. It is, as it says in John, those that love me obey my commandments. So Father, we wanna love you more fully, more deeply. We're not sugar-coated Christians in word only, but let our fruit of our lives reveal the love for our heavenly Father. We take the body, we break it today. As the scripture says, your body was broken for us. We thank you. The scripture even says that you became poor so that we can experience prosperity, that we can move forward, that we can have life and life abundantly. We thank you, Jesus. And as we prepare the cup this morning, we thank you. that you've overcome the world, that you said in this life you will have tribulation, but take heart. Just because you take this cup doesn't mean you'll never experience pain, never experience tragedy and loss. And even as we were worshiping, I could sense some of us were struggling today with a part in that, that song that says, Jesus, you don't owe me anything. I think a lot of times we come to him saying, I did this, now you have to do that. I experienced this, why aren't you here? I thought if I trusted you for six months and 10 days, like I felt, I thought you said, then blessing would be on the other side of that. And so when you don't get what you think God had for you, then you come into a place like this today and say, Jesus, you owe me some explanations. You owe me some answers. But his answer for all eternity is you have to look at the cross. You have to look at the blood of Jesus. And when you get a revelation of that, it permeates every question, every mystery, anything that you don't have answers for, you look at the cross and you find a divine mystery in Christ that he touches and he will fill all things in his time, in his ways, and with his word. So as you take this cup today, can you say in your spirit and truly mean it, if I'm talking to you, say, Jesus, I might not fully believe it right now, but I wanna to get to the place of where you don't owe me anything. You gave me everything at the cross. That is enough. Now teach me from that place to trust you more fully. Jesus, I thank you that you are a man of sorrows. It says in Isaiah that you are acquainted with our grief. You're acquainted with our fears. You're acquainted with our worry. 
You are not a God shouting from heaven that says, suck it up and shut up. You are saying, look at me, look at the cross, look at my nail-pierced hands. I have ascended, I have given you authority, I have given you power. Get up, step up, rise up, wake up, and be who I've called you to be as a child, as a son and daughter of God. I love you. And we thank you the greatest act of love was at the cross. The cup we hold today was paid in blood by Jesus. So we take this cup as the covenant we have committed to today in Jesus' name. seated. Thank you, Corey. Are you ready to dive into the scriptures today? It's always so good just letting the word of God permeate us and teach us. And this is such an exciting time in our church. I believe it's really a, a prophetic time these last months um, so much has, has happened, and um, I believe even as we've talked of, this is uh, year 40 of our church, and just all that that signifies of going in out of a wilderness and into a promised land. And since uh, Pastor Joyce established and founded this church, we're at year 40, and uh, mm -hmm. there's so many good things on the horizon. And the thing I know is when God begins to move, there, momentum begins to take place. And you can either get on the train or you can miss the train. And I'm not saying this merely in a physical manner. I'm saying this spiritually. It is your pastor that God is doing something. Strongholds are being broken. You're, I see people in this body, in this house, going from a place of being delivered to walking in dominion. And you can't let that which the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy his strategies we talked of last week how to have a prison break, if you remember, with Peter in the prison, of how he got up when the angel visited him and how he got dressed and how it was suddenly, and you've got to go with God when he comes to touch you, even if it doesn't make sense. And some of you today, whatever you've walked through, um, if you're not careful that it can continue to cause a momentum in the other direction toward fear, toward doubt, and toward unbelief, where you don't trust God fully. And as we talk about overcoming specifically a place of financial fear, um, I've come to find of how your relationship with finances is, I would say at least at a minimum of 50%, has to do with how you were raised. Would we all say amen to that or agree? How we were raised, we either take it and we run with it, or we have to be we have to come to the place to confront some, some lies or wrestle with some truths that maybe we didn't agree with, that we didn't apply. And I found this graphic that I think speaks uh, very clearly of, of what it can look like in the, in the realm of either a generational blessing or a generational curse. And generationally, this is what it can look like when what happens to you in the home of how it cycles from a child and then you wake up one day is a a mother, as a father, is um, an adult, and you see yourself repeating cycles of what were done to you by your parents or by your grandparents. Can anyone 
agree to this or maybe see this in your life or a part of your life or something you have conquered or maybe you are conquering specifically. So this is an abusive situation you see here, but the same can be said of money, of how you're taught about it, um, of what you experience, things that you hear grandpa or grandma say or things that you hear mom and dad say, these mantras stick with you. And if you're not careful, it can become now the way you handle money and how the culture in your house carries on and into. I jotted a few things down. Maybe your home sounded like this growing up. We can never afford this. Maybe you heard that over, you know what, we're gonna believe God for this. Uh, maybe your home sounds like this. All the rich people are always greedy. They only got rich. They only became blessed because of greed. Uh, how about with the church? Maybe around the dinner table when discussions of tithe and discussions of giving come up. The church just wants your money. That's all they care about. That's all they speak about. The church, look at the pastor. Look at the shoes he's wearing. Look at the car he's driving. They take your tithe and they go buy bigger houses and buy bigger cars. Now, saying all this, there is validity because there are churches that do not steward God's finances well. Amen? This is, it, one church is not a cookie cutter and one size fits all. So the thing I can tell you is whatever someone in your family line experienced, that bias, that stinking thinking, that mindset can be translated to you even if you didn't physically say, I agree with that, I'm walking that way. But it can be just being familiar with it, being around it, and without realizing it, there are things that need to be broken off of your life in regards to how you handle money and even more so of how you view money in your relationship with God's house and with the church. Now I'm standing here today because in our house, those were not the conversations. In our house, I was always encouraged to put God first, to never um, doubt God, to always operate in faith and not fear. Even if I didn't understand it, I come from a place of where mom and dad and grandma specifically, uh, and we, I, we lost our grandpa, at, uh, my grandpa at a, at a young age, but Pastor Joyce and, and my parents always taught us to believe God and to step out in faith and to take risk. Our family, if you know us, are risk takers. And as we take risks, there is a, a place of faith and trust in God, even not looking at the parameters of if we fail, what will happen on the other side of that. But there is, is a faith of stepping out and trusting God. And I thank God that my parents have instilled that for me. Now, on the other side of when you're a risk taker, you usually have to bring some sobriety into it to make sure that you're not uh, having uneducated risk. So as I've grown in my understanding of money and, 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 and relationship to it, um, you, you have to be patient with yourself. You have to ask a lot of questions and you have to get outside of how you were raised. I can remember the, one of the biggest times when I was really building faith for myself, when I stepped out of being in church here my whole life and going to um, ORU, being in a college kid and having no money, um, was trying to, to work uh, at a call center at the school at the time, making eight, $9 an hour, and barely had enough just to have some food money, some fun money, and some gas and insurance. And I can remember me and some of my friends had the bright idea, let's go give some plasma. There was this plasma drive and we found out we can make a hundred bucks to give some plasma. 
If you've been there, you know it. Um, so we signed up and we drove to the plasma donation center. And I can remember a few points getting so weak, thought I was going to pass out and the whole experience of it. And then they give you the, the check at the end of it. And um, I can remember that was on a Saturday. And then Sunday, the church I was a part of then, uh, there was a message on, on tithing and, and teaching. And um, I felt in my spirit that, because uh, I wasn't planning on tithing on that, because God, I literally had to give my blood to get this money. Um, but I felt in my spirit, and I felt that conviction that, no, I believe God was teaching me something through that to, to tithe off of that plasma money. So I can remember this was like a 3,000-seat church, and I was up in the balcony, and they had it where you brought the, the tithe down. And I can remember having it in my tithe envelope with the bandage still around my forearm and bringing that down to give to the Lord and, and to give uh, to the tithe. And at that time, I'd been praying for, God, give me an idea, give me an opportunity to where, you know, I can make money, uh, I can put myself through school. I have an entrepreneurial mindset, so I'm always thinking and trying to think outside the box. I can remember that was before Thanksgiving break, and we had come home uh, over Thanksgiving, and even before that happened, this is kind of a funny part of the story, is uh, mom and dad were always so good. They could have stepped in and helped, but looking back, thank God they didn't, because I learned so much through that, to try to, to have to step out and to figure it out yourself. And if you're a parent, this is always a good reminder that even though you can, that doesn't mean you necessarily should at that time. Let your kids figure stuff out. Let them take the risk. Uh, let them try to find uh, creative ways. And uh, I remember uh, probably mom or dad told Pastor Joyce at the time, and uh, unbeknownst to them, she had sent a, a check to me saying, honey, go get you something. You don't have to give all that blood all the time. You'll be okay. <laughs> so thank God for a good grandma. <laughs> but we had come home from school and, we had had um, Thanksgiving, and uh, I can remember a conversation I had with someone who was visiting and, and was there, and they started talking about an idea of a business that they had, and something triggered in me um, that ended up through a, a chain of events leading to what I do in my business now. And I can connect it back to that, because hindsight's always twenty twenty of seeds that were planted there, and in a, in a time of faith when I had nothing and didn't know what to do, but I trusted God and he supplied and he came through, through a chain of events. And I think we all can say we have a story as you've trusted God, as you've stepped out in faith. Um, but that's just one incident, incident in my life of many of how you see God use what little you have, what faith you bring to the table, of how he can speak and challenge and teach you in a way that you can understand. And this is what I've always found is it doesn't look, our journeys all look different, but that doesn't mean that God can't meet you where you're at and touch the places of your fear and touch the places of your worry. And as we um, address, and as we look at these financial fear and financial worry, um, I wanna look at a passage of scripture from Elijah of where God provided for Elijah in an uncommon way, where God moved for him and a widow in a way that doesn't make sense. And you're gonna see in 1 Kings 17, 
of what God asked the widow to do and what God asked Elijah to do, that this is a time of famine. And to give you a little bit of context, is there is a, a brook that Elijah was at that was full of water that had supply and provision. The ravens were feeding him. The, the brook was filled with water. He was getting what he needed. But then the scripture says the brook dried up. And so here's where we see in verse 9 that the word of God comes to Elijah, that now it's time for him to get up and move. And before we get into this, I believe there's someone and some of us here today in some way, we need to hear that if we are in a dry season and if we are disconnected from the Lord, you're judging God for a famine in your life, but because you're not connected to him, he's trying to get you to get up and go to a new place, but you're not connected and you're not hearing. And many times we try to still keep making something happen in a place that's dried up and the ravens are no longer feeding, like with Elijah. So in verse eight, this is what happens. It says, and the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. And see, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. I only have a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Kind of a dark little moment there. Um, verse 13, and Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall a jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and she did according to the word of Elijah and she and her household ate for many days. So here we see a powerful miracle. And again, Elijah is homeless. He's out of town. He's out of what's familiar. And he comes upon the presence of a widow. And um, the widow, as we see, is she refers even, this gives you a sign in verse 12, where she says, as the Lord your God lives. So she's not a part of the kingdom of God here. She would be even if, if you study of where this land is, it would be the land of even where Jezebel resided. She would be a Gentile. She would not be a part of um, the family of God here. So God is using someone outside of the faith to provide for Elijah, but is also using what's going to happen with Elijah to show how powerful his God is. And what strikes me at first thought here is usually when you see a widow mentioned or the story of a widow, it's usually God providing for the widow, not the widow providing for a man of God or for, for somebody else. And what you need to see through that is God can use anything and anybody, whether you suspect it, to provide that which you have need of. And also God can provide and use this testimony because they were both in a famine. So resources were very thin, they did not exist. And some of us, when we are in such a wilderness and a famine place, we have convinced ourselves 
that there is no way we can move forward. There's no way there will be supply. There's no way we will ever get a raise. There's no way there will ever be an opportunity, right? Our self-talk gets pretty bad when we are famished and when we are in a wilderness. But they begin to be, you can see there's obedience present here. And Elijah takes the long walk that uh, would be some 85 miles that he would walk to get to this place of what God told him. And what we see here is, I even think of, of our church. I think of, of how, uh, if you go back and read, and I actually want to read it to you, in uh, verse 1, Caitlin, if you put it up, it says uh, that the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from there and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed at this brook which flows to the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. You know, the, the sanctuary you're sitting in now has been a brook for many years that is supplied, that has brought the word of God. Um, and as we are essentially the brook is drying up and we are moving into a new season and into a new place, believing God for um, a new sanctuary. What we come to find is the place that used to feed you, the place that uh, where the water was flowing, if, if you get so caught up and always looking at what your now is, you can never see where God is taking you into next. And in saying that, it doesn't mean you obsess with which is what always next in your life, but you have to be sensitive and you have to be attentive to when something dries up, either God is gonna resupply it or he's drying something up to get you moving. And I believe this is where a lot of us get stuck because of what is next, if we're operating in fear and not faith, we will fear the steps it takes to get to what is next of what God is bringing into your life. And is our church, this is, I believe prophetically of where we're at that a brook is drying up, not saying that his spirit is not here, that God's anointing is not here, that his provision is not here. It's very clear that that is, is, is here and, and God is moving and God is doing, but he's drying it up to get us moving for a purpose. And so you can even look at how God dries things up in your life, not as, as his judgment or bringing pain in your life or whatever, but he dries things up to get you moving and to get you operating and and looking into what he has next for you. So in thinking of, of the tithe, of thinking of, of financial fear, you could easily see that this woman could have had a, an immense amount of fear in what God was asking her to do. She was even in the place of planning her funeral. Did you catch that part of the scripture where it said that she was gonna make a cake out of some oil and bread for her and her son and go and die? That's how much this woman was exasperated from this famine. So she had come to the end of her rope and was ready to call it quits. But look what you see here. The very thing that she was preparing, Elijah comes in and says, give me some water. And then he also says, oh, I see you're making a cake. Why don't you bring that to me as well? But he didn't just say, bring it to me. He said, give me what you have first. So you even see the principle of first fruits here. You even see the principle of first that she brings to him what she has first 
of the, the bread and doesn't give him what she has second. So there, there is a faith element that instead of feeding herself first, she's taking what she has and brings to him. Now, if you read into the end of the story, you will see, as we did read, that the supply never stopped for days until the Lord sent the rain. And I believe this is a, a picture of how God works and moves in our life is, and hear me as I say this, many times we, um, we get mad at God because he doesn't meet our greed, he only meets our need. When we are believing God for our needs, he puts a roof over our head, he puts clothes on our back, he cares for us, we can get discontent. And as I say this as well, I believe this is truth, as many times we shop and we live based off what our dream is, not what our budget tells us to be. Amen? Whatever we dream, the life that we want to live, if it means putting it on credit, if it means getting poor interest rates, if it means getting involved with predatory lending, whatever it may be to get that which you want to attain, when you build your life based off what your dream is, and I'm not against the dream, but if it, if it counteracts the budget, then you can get in a, in a place of where you can really damage your financial footprint. You can damage your financial life. And we get mad at God or we don't understand when we're operating in a place of greed. Even if we don't quite think it's greed, why wouldn't God want me to have that? But the lines between greed and need get very blurred many of the times. And this is why you have to be attentive and be connected to the Lord and understand and, and keep your spiritual tension sharp so you don't get into a place of greed and you complain to God when he's saying, I am giving every one of your needs. I'm caring for you. And God is a good father, just as I will never let my children go clothesless, diaperless, foodless. He wants to supply all of your needs. This is who he is inherently, that God loves to take care of his children. And if you think otherwise, then you don't know how good your heavenly father is who longs to take care of you. So as you see, in regards to the tithe, in regards to trusting God, is it's not absolutely and necessarily a matter of salvation here if you don't tithe. But what it is, it is a matter and an issue of obedience and growing with God. So if you wanna grow with God, if you wanna walk in obedience to what the word says, then this is a point in your life where you can grow with him. And I'm sitting here telling, standing here telling you today as someone who grew up, as I told you, what the conversation was around our home. I can remember being a kid sitting in a purple pew right there with my mom and she would hand me a dollar or $5 every time the bag passed and it just, it put it in me that we're givers. We are generous people. We give, we trust God. And we understand too that you don't tithe it's not a tithe when you give to a ministry. If you partner with someone, the tithe belongs to the local church where the storehouse is. And so there's even all a mixed bags of opinions of what is a storehouse and where does this and that go? But the scripture is very clear that the tithe belongs to the local church of where you are fed, of where you are planted. And let me say this too, if you are a visitor, if this is not your church home, uh, there is no expectation that you are to tithe. But if you are a part of this church, 
And if you are planted here, then based off the authority of Scripture and what it teaches and being scripturally correct, you are to tithe to the house. And if your mindset is that it is an obligation, then you're missing it as well. That we don't have to tithe, we get to tithe. It is an opportunity. And when you do tithe, I'm telling you, you will see God bless you. You will see God move for you. It does not mean you will not, again, have pain. This is not a prosperity gospel message. But it is, as we see in Ephesians, it says the Lord will supply all of your needs according to his riches and his glory. So it's a way that we can see God move. We even see all throughout um, of what common things I hear people say, things that I've grown up around, is they usually get a very deep voice, cross your arms and put your head up and say, well, it's just and that's the law. That's all Old Testament. Jesus never talks about that. I think if we've all heard that somewhere along the road. And what you have to understand is there was actually tithe given, the first fruits given, a tenth given, 500 years before the law ever came through Abraham. And we even see in Genesis 28, it even a tithe happened through Jacob. And if that's not enough, you see in Matthew 23, 23, where Jesus talks about tithing. And many times the scripture is misunderstood and taken as Jesus is saying, you don't have to tithe. But look what it says. It says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, Jesus talking to Pharisees here. This is in red in your Bible. This is Jesus talking. It says, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. So what this is here is that Jesus is confronting the Pharisee because they've added to the law at the time, saying that you don't just tithe from your livestock, which was, was prescribed through the law, but now they're adding to, you've got to now take a tenth from all of your gardens, all of your herb gardens, like it's saying, and you give of, of the vegetation too. So Jesus is confronting their hypocrisy and also confronting that they are, are teaching incorrectly. And he says, you, you tithe from these things, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, faith, and mercy. So he's not saying you don't tithe. He's saying tithing should be a basic understanding that yes, tithing has always been a part and will always be a part, but your heart is so dirty and you're like a, trying to portray you're this clean thing, but what's on the inside is wicked and deceitful. So it says you should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. You're a blind guide. You strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, that you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. So Jesus is saying here, we are to tithe. This should be a, a, a part of who we are. And Again, if you are at the place of where you see it as an obligation or what does the church do with my money? Where does it go? How does it work? You're missing the heart of it and you will critique yourself out of it and you will be a critic of something that is supposed to be a blessing, something that is, honors the Lord and something that God uses to bless your life. It's a partnership with God. It creates a, an overflow with God because I don't just wanna live uh, with just enough, he is the God of more than enough. 
that wants to flow through your life and wants you to live in the overflow. And I wanna live in the overflow because that's where I can be generous and bless and help other people, where I can take care of the needs, not just of my own family, but other families, where we can be generous, where you see someone in need, you can help them. I think that's a good place to be. But many times we limit God. We judge what his word says and we try to self-interpret it and throw these scarecrows and stigmas to justify it. And going back and seeing, there's a difference between fear and worry. Jesus in the Beatitudes, when he talks about in Matthew 6, he doesn't say don't fear about what will happen to you. He says don't worry. And worry is this, it's an imaginary scenario that signals potential danger of what could or couldn't happen. When you fear, for example, if you're afraid of venomous snakes and you see a venomous snake in the grass, you are going to jump back from an immediate reaction of what you just saw, right? If you're afraid of something, there is an immediate reaction to what you've seen. That's a fear. But worry is this self uh, manipulation of a situation where a lot of the times if you're in the place of always saying what, what if this happens or how is this going to happen and if I get in the car am I going to get in a car wreck today and you're just so worried full that before you even get to do the thing you've killed it because you've worried your way out of it so Jesus is talking in Matthew 6 not to worry because and here's a few principles that it's unnatural, it's unfruitful, it's unnecessary, and it's unbelieving. That we're not called to worry. And when you worry about money, when you worry about life, when you worry about how God's gonna show up, how God is going to move, it's almost as though you're saying, I don't trust God that he can move in this area of my life when you worry. That's what that is communicating. I do not trust God. And quite frankly, worry is very unbecoming of a follower of Christ, that we're never called to worry. And if you are a worryful person, that is a good indicator and a good sign that you need to bring that before the Lord and pray and ask for deliverance from a spirit of worry. Of always, your first response is worry, your first response is not faith. And the way we combat fear and the way we combat worry is we do it with faith, amen? that we're not called to be a worryful people. And the biggest place, again, we worry is in regards to money. This is the place we worry the most of how God is gonna act, how he's gonna move. And we don't wanna be a people that worries. So we've gotta respond in faith. We don't allow worry to be fear that is manufactured in our life. And the way that you conquer worry is you don't close your eyes and put your hands on your head and tell yourself not to worry or say, I just, I can't speak that all the time. That's a part of it, but you're just dealing with a symptom. You're not dealing with the root of it. And if you allow worry to just go and be unchecked, then you will worry your way out of everything and you will isolate yourself and you'll never do anything because you're so fearful and because you're so worryful all the time. And if anyone, and going back to our, Bible story today, if anyone had the excuse of worrying, if she would have had enough, it's this widow who had nothing, who was on her way of potential death. That's how deep and dark her pain had gone. 
And as we see here, what I think is, is amazing is you read on into the story is the supply never ran out, that her needs were met, his needs were met, Elijah's needs were met. And then it come to find that uh, uh, months later, her son would get sick and actually die. And as the son died, uh, Elijah said, or the woman said, um, when the death happened, she blamed Elijah for the death of her son and said, why did you come here? You brought all my sins up, you caused this. And she begins really blaming Elijah for the death of her son. And uh, how God uses this is, is amazing. And I think it's a reminder for us too, is that when trouble visits our house, we don't wanna evict Elijah. That Elijah was not the problem, Elijah would actually be the solution. And when we deal with the pain, when we deal with the fear, when we deal with the worry, many times our first thing is to wanna to blame God and say, why do bad things happen to good people? I was in church every week. I, I did tithe, why is this happening to my life? But that is never the question we should be asking. It is not God's fault. But what we see here is that Elijah was not the problem. And Elijah wasn't the one to be evicted, but it was actually the solution to bring healing to her son. So the son comes forth, Elijah prays for the son, and he's actually resurrected from the dead. And uh, his son, her son, is healed. And so walking with God doesn't mean you have problems. It means you have somewhere to bring your problems. This is the difference. The woman had Elijah to go to to bring the issue, to bring the pain, and to bring the problem. Many times we blame God for the problem when he's saying, I'm the one that you should be bringing the problem to because I can bring the healing. Stop trying to evict me and eject me from your life. Bring the problem, bring the pain to me so that I can heal it and do a miracle in your life. This is how good your God is in the middle of our pain. John 16, we know it, but it's a good reminder. It says, these things I've spoken to you that you may have peace in this world. You're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome. And we know this today, that wherever our lack is, wherever our faith is grown weary, wherever our questioning is, we can bring it, we can lay it before God and he can take it Take what little we have, because at the end of the day, if you will be obedient and you will sit, your heart posture will be, I want to trust you more fully, he will bring everything into your life that you need. But if your heart posture is, I'm worryful, I am fearful, I don't want to do that, that doesn't feel good to my flesh, and you walk away, you are putting a stent in the supply that God has for you. God will still work with you, he'll still, he still loves you. But again, in regards to the tithe, in regards to giving, it is a way that you grow in obedience with God. It is a way that you grow with God. And the thing I've come to find, if you talk to a tither, they will always say, it always pays to keep God first. And if you are not a tither, usually the language that I hear is, I cannot afford to tithe. And what I would say, well, tithe is not a, a, a debt you owe, it is a seed you sow. 
Tithe is not a bill like you pay your spectrum bill. Tithe is intended to be first, and it's intended to be a tenth. And is, uh, I believe Dave Ramsey would say, I would rather trust God with 100% that is blessed than 90% that is cursed. And so this is a matter of understanding biblical finances, how it works, and the thing that we see in the culture we live in is there's so much financial illiteracy. If you went to a public school or a government school, most likely you're not gonna get any financial literacy in grades K through 12, at least I did it. And what I learned about money came from my home, came from the church, came from good teachers here at ZCA when I was here. And it's such a disservice that our, our culture, our schools don't teach good, godly, biblical worldviews of how to handle and how to steward money. And I wanna be a church that these subjects are not taboo, but you understand the way of what scripture says and that you understand that you can be blessed and that you have to have common sense. When God provides for you, if he blesses you, I've always said, if God blesses you so much that now you don't really need him, now you can run off on your weekends and not be in God's house, why would he do that if that's what is in the core of your heart? That what he blesses you with, it pushes you away from him, it doesn't make you cling to him because you know the value of what was just given to you. And I think as we grow in maturity, those are the places of your heart that God cannot bless you because your heart is not there. And if he were to do that, it would more weigh you down and hurt you, if not destroy you, then it would bless you and keep you close to him. And so what I would encourage, because there's families where, um, and the food's just now getting here, so you're okay. It's gonna be there. That's why I'm preaching a little longer today. Thank you, Pastor Garrett. You're welcome. But practically speaking, say you live in a house where one spouse tithes and one spouse does not. This can become a war very quickly of how we're to give and what we give, and I don't agree with that, but I do. Um, I would encourage you to do what you can do um, and even, for some of us, the thought of giving 10%, this is what Bree and I do. We give 10% of our gross income, um, and we give it to the church before taxes. It's all first, even before taxes. That's what we do. And we would never ask anybody to give something we wouldn't do. So off everything we make, 10% gross goes to God's house. And then our heart is to want to be generous and give above that as well as the Lord leads and as he does. So the thought of that for some of, if I were to start giving 10% next week, it ain't gonna work on paper. What I would encourage you to, to do is, is obviously pray, take a message like this and wrestle with it, and you have to start somewhere. Maybe not get Starbucks three days a week. Maybe you can say, you know what, I'm gonna put the Starbucks away and I'm gonna to begin to step out and trust God in this place in my life with the money that was for Starbucks. I'm gonna trust it with giving, with the tithe. These are, you can do very simple things. And if you just take your, your financial life, your financial footprint and look at it, there's places where you can save, there's places where you can give and you can begin to trust God in that.
And again, if you are in a home where there is disagreement, you've got to do what's right with what you make and trust God in that. Pray for the other spouse that doesn't. Try to get a plan, study the scriptures together because it's all there and it's God's word. And the Holy Spirit is bigger than any excuse and bigger than any kind of disagreement that can come with that. But these are important things. And these are, again, where people get stuck. These are places that block your growth with God. But I'm telling you today from experience and more importantly, the authority of scripture is that you will experience his blessing, but his blessing doesn't look like always him preventing your pain, preventing your problems, but there's always a place that you can bring them and God can give you strategy. God can work through them. And you just can't think because I give today, my life is gonna be, have rose-colored glasses and it's all gonna begin to work out. And if you're a tither, you know that, but your faith is strong because you know who your God is, you know the place of his supply. And ultimately you're saying, every time I give, I am trusting him. I'm not trusting, I'm understanding that my job is a source or my job is supply, but God is my source. That I operate in a different economy, no matter of a pending recession, no matter of inflation, these things, yes, affect my life, but ultimately, God is my supply, my job, my boss is a source, and I've seen time and time again, year after year, with so many different people, of how God can work in spite of what whatever Fox Business is saying or whatever the antidote to how to weather a bad economy. God can move in spite of all that, and that should give you great faith that I am operating with God in his economy, not just on my own, with my own wit and wisdom, and whatever Wall Street says is gonna be the pending uh, predicament. So as we close today, um, I want you to stand, I wanna pray. Uh, Mike, if you would help me close. And I pray you caught something out of the message today. Did you catch something? You stirred a little bit. Um, and if there's any further scripture or studies I can give you, um, please reach out. I, I'd love to encourage you in this. And again, I'm not preaching this so that tithe goes up in our church so that you start tithing. You then have to take this and take the topic of tithing, search the scriptures, wrestle with it because again, you're giving unto him. You're not just giving to the church. And whatever misconceptions, preconceptions, generational things that you've had to deal with along the way. Allow God to touch those parts of your life. Maybe you've had a, a church hurt at another church or wherever on these topics. Don't get stuck there and be limited because of what's happened in this part of your life. But this can be a beautiful place of a walk with God. It can be a joyous place. It can be a risky place but it's a place where you can see God's favor. You can see his provision. And just as we see with Elijah and the widow, he can take the, what seemingly nothing the widow had and do a miracle through it. So don't ever limit God. And understand this about Jesus too, is when you're doing your tithe, it's not like he's sitting in the corner waiting for you to make a math error and a miscalculation and say, oh, you're judged. You're cursed now. If you have that, you're completely missing it too. 
but it's first and foremost a matter of the heart. And as it becomes a matter of the heart and you study the scriptures, if you love him, you obey his commandments, as it says in John, and you want to begin to walk in deeper, fuller obedience with him. It's not an obligation. It's not something you should feel shameful about. It's not something that's just legalistic, Pastor. It absolutely isn't. It's New Testament. It was before the law. And many of you will stay bound in a place of finances until you get this revelation, if I can just speak bluntly about it. It's a joyous thing. It's an exciting thing. It's not a weighty thing. It's not something a church does to keep control or to try to get money. Throw all those excuses out the, out the window because they'll easily creep up as you walk out of here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you gave us Jesus when we didn't deserve it. We thank you for his blood, for his life, that this is all. We wanna grow with you. We don't wanna be stagnant. We don't wanna stay at the dry brook. We don't wanna stay in a famine. But just as we saw and with Elijah, you provided powerfully through an unlikely source in the middle of a famine. God, I believe you wanna provide for us in ways that we don't even know you want to. You wanna show up and show out for us. You just want us to lean in and trust you more, to grow with you. God, I pray that you take the principle of this message, the truth of tithing, the truth of giving, the truth of generosity, and let us not be wallowing in fear and wallowing in worry in regards to money. But you give an antidote. You give a medicine. You give us truth. Let us not be stingy Christians. The two doesn't even go together. We're called to be a generous people, not just with money, but with our time, with what you've gifted us with. We wanna be a blessing to other people. So Father, I thank you that you move in hearts today because this can be a moment that changes a family line it can change a generation it can change the thoughts about money the heart postures toward money and the spirit of mammon can be broken so Father we thank you for bringing healing in our life and touching us moving powerfully as we walk from here. We love you, Lord. We receive your truth and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.